This episode is part of the pool's Local Officials Stronger Together podcast series. It's one way we serve local officials through integrity, public service, fiscal responsibility, and operational excellence. As always, please direct specific questions about coverage to your risk management advisor. Welcome to episode 27 in the Risk Pool's Stronger Together podcast series. I'm your host, Scott Houston. Today's episode is about city code enforcement officers. As always, I'm going to give you some basic information. I'll talk a little bit about code enforcement and the folks who do it. I'll visit with three employees of the city of Irving about the practical and legal challenges for these officers as well. So where did code enforcement originate? Well, I guess it depends on how far back you want to go. Maybe all the way? How about 5,000 years? Western civilization began in Mesopotamia around 3500 BC through a culture called the Sumerians. If you remember from grade school, Mesopotamia is the area between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, now mostly in Iraq. The Sumerians were the first people to live and work in cities, and, and that was dozens of cities, actually, some with populations near 50,000. And those cities had rules that the inhabitants had to follow. Those rules became the first laws and municipal ordinances in human history. An example of those was the ancient Code of the Hammurabi. King Hammurabi was a descendant of the Sumerians, and he created the first surviving set of written laws around 1700 BC to govern those people who lived in the city of Babylon. Babylon wasn't a small city. It actually had over 200,000 inhabitants at one point. And what do you need when you have that many people building homes and businesses in close proximity? Really two things infrastructure to make living there possible, and laws, i.e. ordinances nowadays, to protect property values and, most importantly, keep the residents safe. King Hammurabi lived in a much simpler, or maybe you'd call it brutal, time. His building code, for example, was brutally simple, in fact. It said, quote, If a builder builds a house and does not make its construction firm, and the house collapses and causes the death of the owner, that builder shall be put to death. Well, our building codes and other health and safety ordinances don't come with a death penalty for noncompliance. The only criminal penalty is a Class C misdemeanor with a fine of 200 bucks in most cases, although some health and safety ordinances can go up to $2,000. More vital to their enforcement, though, are the civil remedies that go along with them. In most cases, a city can, with proper due process, which means notice and an opportunity for the person to cure the problem or be heard about it, can remedy the violation by cleaning it up or demolishing it, and in some cases put a lien on the property to try to recoup their money if it's sold. In any case, the whole idea is that when people live and work in close proximity, they need rules to live by and services to survive. Some of those codes and rules are enforced by law enforcement, but most of the quality of life type rules are enforced by our code enforcement officers. And that's a very specific title. A person can't call him or herself a, quote, code enforcement officer unless they've taken training and been certified by the state to do so. Not all employees who work in code enforcement are certified, and they don't have to be. And there's many reasons for that, finances being one. But today, I want to talk to several folks from the city of Irving, which has one of the best code enforcement teams around, up and down, about why their people are certified and their top practical and legal challenges. Welcome back. 
I'm first joined by Irving Assistant City Manager Teresa Adrian and Code Enforcement Director Shane Diller. Welcome, guys. Thank you for joining us today. First, guys, I'd like to ask about your experience in the field of code enforcement and what you're doing now. So, Shane, what about you? How long have you been with the city and what is your role now? Uh, I'm currently the code enforcement director for the city of Irving, and I have been with the uh, city of Irving since April of 2022. Prior to that, I ran code enforcement for a city in California and have been in the code enforcement field itself about 17 years now. Outstanding. And Teresa, how about you? How long have you been with the city and uh, what's your role now? Well, so uh, come January 2023, no, 2024, I will have been here 25 years. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, So I currently serve as the assistant city manager and I have the oversight of our quality of life and external services departments. Uh, none of which are code enforcement, uh, but I was uh, the code enforcement director here for many years, and I also maintain the position of a presiding officer for the Texas Department of Licensing and Regulation Code Enforcement and Officers Advisory Committee. So I try to stay involved in that regard. Outstanding. That's awesome. So let's talk code enforcement for a few minutes. I want to ask you a few questions and kind of get what y'all's thoughts are. What are the top practical challenges that you have when you're enforcing ordinances and how have you worked to overcome those challenges? Well, I'm certainly interested in Teresa's take on on, on these questions as well. But when, when you look at the challenges that code enforcement's facing and enforcing ordinances, one of the things that I've found is one of our most common hurdles is awareness, is just ensuring that the public is aware of standards and more importantly, the processes and that we're able to to get the message to them as to what we have on the books as ordinance locally, what those standards are, be able to answer questions to them when they, when they ask questions are confused about with the code, any sorts of things is the one of the biggest challenges. And we try to positively impact that stuff by making sure that, you know, we're out at public events, you know, that if the police department is going out to national night out, that, you know, we're going out there and that if there's an opportunity to speak to a neighborhood association or a homeowners group or the, the rotary, that we get an opportunity to, to get in a room and to really educate people on what we're doing and how we're doing it so that they can partner with us on maintaining a safe and healthy built environment and safe communities. That's a really good answer. You know, I would have thought maybe pit bulls when a code enforcement <laughs> officer goes somewhere or a, a an owner with a shotgun on the front porch. But that's a really interesting answer. In fact, I'm on the board of my homeowners association and it's a tiny HOA. And that's the challenge we face too. Owners just don't know that they're in violation of some of these things. So that's that's a really good point. And I'm glad y'all are working to educate folks about those. Teresa, what about what are your thoughts on that one? Well, I, I think taking what Shane said a step further, I think that one of the, the, the challenges that I was very passionate about when I was serving as the code enforcement director was figuring out ways to instill that community pride, that home ownership pride, um, pride in your neighborhood, and helping people realizing the benefits of maintaining your property. So it's not just about teaching people what the minimum requirements are, what the code requirements are. 
it is literally doing everything you can to instill that that pride. And I think when people take pride in what they do, you know, the outcome is better. That's awesome. Thank you all for that. So let's talk about who's actually out there on the streets enforcing your codes. Are, are all of your code enforcement folks who go out on the streets certified as, as state certified code enforcement officers? Yeah, all of our code enforcement are licensed as state as uh, Texas uh, code enforcement officers through TDLR. And uh, the, the new ones go through a training period in there, what's called uh, code enforcement officers in training until they complete the year and have the the, the, the classes and the tests and stuff under their belt. But that starts day one. They begin those through that training and work through that process. And I think it's it's interesting because there's no requirement under state law that a person who is out there enforcing codes have that certification. But most do. And so tell me, why do you feel that that certification is important for your folks to have? Well, beyond any you know, legal requirement to do it, the, the certifications and licensing and stuff that are provided put everybody at the same foundational level of, of knowledge and understanding. You know, the, the, word of, the word of code enforcement is, you know, is technical and it's legal. It's, there's elements of, of inspections that come into it. There's a, it's a multidisciplinary approach and a skill set that the people doing this have to have. And the, the licensing and the certification that is provided just starts everybody off on the same footing. They're all at the same level. And then that gives a reassurance to the public and to the, uh, the agency we're working with that from a professional standpoint that they're competent and they're, uh, they're good at what they do and that they carry that with them as they represent the city and, and do the work for the public. That makes perfect sense. And you certainly mentioned the legal requirement. It is very legal intensive because you're dealing with people's actions and properties. And just like a police officer, your folks need to know the legal ins and outs of what they can and can't do. And uh, luckily, I'll be speaking to Janet Spugnardi, uh, your deputy city attorney here in a little bit about some of those issues. Are there any other things you'd like to mention about enforcing codes that you think elected officials would be interested to know? The thing I always try to hammer home is that code enforcement is a process. It's not an action. And, you know, with the requirements for, uh, you know, notice and opportunity to correct that we have, you know, in providing due process, you know, there's patience that's required to appropriately get to the finish line on these things to do it right, to do it legally so that we're protecting the city's interest as well as accomplishing the mission is an important balance. Well, I certainly picked the right two folks to talk to. The city of Irving is super lucky to have y'all, and I feel lucky to have had you for the last few minutes to visit about code enforcement. So thank you both for being here. Thanks for having us. All right. Well, thank you for the opportunity, and keep up the good work you're doing. I'm now joined by Janet Spugnardi. Janet is deputy city attorney for the city of Irving. And Janet and I have known each other for a long time, and she's been an amazing resource to me over the years on a lot of issues, especially code enforcement issues. So welcome, Janet. Thank you, Scott. Thank you for having me. (laughs) You bet. Tell me a little bit about how long you've been with the city and your role now and how you got to learn about legal issues related to code enforcement. Oh, sure. So I've been with the city of Irving for 10 years and um, I started as a senior assistant city attorney and got promoted about seven years ago to deputy city attorney. So right now I oversee all of the transactional 
and litigation work that's done by our city attorney's office that I still, because I have a love of code enforcement, I still am the actual staff attorney for our code enforcement department. And kind of my love of code enforcement began when I was first hired right out of law school for the city of Dallas. I was hired in a section that was code compliance litigation. And so the first six years of my municipal law career, all I did was sue property owners for violating various city ordinances and city codes. So that's kind of how I got started. Yep. And Janet has spoken at Texas City Attorneys Association and other government law meetings for years on code enforcement issues. And and she's really a reputable expert in this field. So we're really lucky to have you today. Um, So tell me, what are your top three legal issues with regard to code enforcement? We heard from uh, Teresa and Shane about the practical things that they deal with. What about legal issues? So I would say for me as a lawyer, the biggest legal issues that I see right now are kind of number one, as we know, Texas is a pro private property rights state and we live in a property rights state. But that those rights are still continuing to evolve and it's a very nuanced area of the law. Um, you see that reflected in how the courts are ruling on some of the short-term rental regulations of really trying to understand, you know, what are the limits of what code enforcement and ordinances that you, that your cities want to adopt? What are the limits of what you can and can't do in that realm? Um, if it, it at all infringes upon or touches upon a private property right and, and how are you able to kind of balance potentially competing interests between private property rights and either what the citizens in your community expect or your council members even expect to try to be able to accomplish via code ordinances. I think that, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I think that's really interesting that you said what I was thinking and was about to say is that we are a private property rights state, but that also means that other people's property rights matter, not just yours, right? And so I think your issue about what the citizens want and what's the council wants and what's best for the community has to be balanced, of course, with the individual private property right. So tell me what are some other, couple of other legal issues you, you think are important? So I think, you know, because I've done code enforcement litigation for so many years, one of the biggest challenges that I've always dealt with is is really just getting the judges to a understand this area of the law. When you deal with a, a judge in district court or county court at law, they're not code enforcement experts. They're not code officials. They're not probably haven't been on a city government in any shape or form. And so they're not ultimately familiar with these code issues. And so really it's kind of a process of having to educate them on what code enforcement is in your city and why these ordinances that are in place are so important and then getting them to understand how important they are and being willing to hold property owners accountable to cities. So what's the final legal issue that you'd like to talk to us about today? So my final one, and this will come as no surprise to you, is in Texas, the biggest challenge right now is our legislature. You know, they're continuing to slowly erode cities' abilities to regulate. And that just has such an impact at a practical level on what we can and cannot do in the code enforcement world. When they adopted HB 2127 and they specifically say that cities are preempted from regulating things that are at all talked about or contained within or the subject of the property code, that could have potential impact on code enforcement down the road. Wow. Those are three really important points. And I said this about Teresa and Shane, and I I mean it doubly about you. The city of Irving is so lucky to have you and the municipal law community is really lucky to have you as well. So thank you so much for your friendship and all your legal advice over the years. 
Well, thank you for everything you do. You have always been a font of wisdom and somebody I can call whenever I have a question. So I, I just appreciate the camaraderie and the friendship through the years. Okay, let's do your action items for today's episode. First, check out the state certification program for code enforcement officers if you haven't already. And also check out all the training that's out there. I've linked to several web pages below the podcast with that information. Second, make sure your code people get the support they need at budget time. This is a core reason that your city exists. Third, it is super important to ensure you have the appropriate legal support to navigate this complex area of law. It's always better to get good advice on the front end rather than end up in a mess after you've already taken action. And finally, let your legislator know if this authority is important to you and let them know that protecting the quality of life in your city is something that they need to think about as well. Okay, that's it. Thanks for listening and we'll talk again soon. To review written materials associated with the presentation or to ask Scott a question, please visit www dot tmlirp dot org and click on the stronger together podcast link please remember that the information in this episode is provided for informational purposes only and doesn't constitute legal advice we recommend that you review the podcast and the accompanying written materials with your attorney prior to taking action